Oh, it's good to hear you guys worshiping, and we're going to continue worshiping right now by opening our Bibles. Hope you brought a Bible to church. If you didn't bring a Bible, you probably brought your phone. Download the Bible app. Open the Bible app. Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. And as you're doing that, um, some of you are like, I thought you were leaving. I'm back. I'm back. I'm not leaving yet. And uh, so many of you have been so kind this week to reach out to us and express your love to us. We love you too, because we are family and nothing's going to change that. We're in this series called We Are Family. And the purpose of this series is to elevate the privilege and the responsibility of church membership. Now, I know that not everybody in the room is a church member, and I'm betting some of you are here for the very first time. I'm looking over here on the front row to some men that I really look up to. Apparently, the Bethel men's basketball team has shown up on the front row, so welcome. We're glad that you're here. And uh, give them a hand. Do it right. And I know there's somebody else here that I look up to even more, and that's Pastor Eduardo and his wonderful wife, Patricia, who uh, have such a vital ministry in the Dominican Republic. Thank you for joining us, and we bless you and honor you. Thank you for being here today. Patricia, here's the secret. Patricia is the Latino voice of Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth in the Spanish language as that broadcast goes out all over the world. So anyway, we're honored that you guys are here. And we're honored that you're here, even if you're anonymous. I felt anonymous last week. I was in church last week, even though I wasn't here at church. Um, I told you I was dropping off kid number three, Allie, and kid number four, the last one, Leah, at college. And so we returned to a very empty quiet, boring existence in our home as now we enter into the, to the empty nest phase of life. But Allie took us to the church that she attends in Dayton, Ohio, when she's away at college at Cedarville University. And so uh, I was so excited to go to church last week because I've been in over like 500 churches and it's just always fascinating to go into other churches and see how they do things. And, and uh, church can be done in a thousand different ways as long as it's biblically faithful to the mission of Jesus. Churches have personalities just like people have personalities personalities. This church kind of reflects my personality and Micah's personality and the elder's personality. It reflects the personality of the leaders, but we know that Jesus is dead. So uh, I was excited to go to church last week with my family and, and just kind of be anonymous and not have any weight of responsibility and just sit there and soak under the teaching of God's word. And so uh, we walked up to this church. It was, it was a church plant. It was a couple of years old and um, it met in an old Lutheran church whose decor had not changed since the 1950s. It was awesome. And we walked in there, and of course, I'm walking through the parking lot, and I'm looking around. They had greeters, just like we have greeters, waiting for, to, to welcome the newcomers. And, and I walked up to the door, and I was greeted by a wonderful young lady. And she said, wait a minute. She said, you're a pastor, aren't you? I'm like, do I just have a glow or something about me? Do I just smell like a pastor? I don't know. She said, you're a pastor from Indiana. She said, you're Pastor Trent, aren't you? I'm like, I was hoping to be anonymous. Who are you? And uh, uh, it was uh, the daughter of Doug and Mindy Shank that uh, attend our church. She said, I'm so glad you're here. My parents attend your church. They love your church. I'm like, I guess I'm not going to be anonymous today. But, uh, you know, we went through that service, and it was a little different than ours. Um, uh, the worship leader was uh, a woman on a piano, and the piano was the only instrument. Uh, I already told you kind of about the decor. The service was a little more liturgical. It was a little more traditional. Um, I learned that when someone says, peace be with you, your response should be, and also with you. I learned that last week in church. The pastor stood up to preach, and he said, open your Bible. I felt safe at that point. And uh, he said, open to Mark chapter 2, and we're beginning the 11th sermon through the gospel of Mark. In chapter 2, I'm like, this is my guy. You know, this is good. And so he preached on Jesus, uh, saying, like, you don't put new wine into old wineskins, you'll burst the wineskin. And I thought, what an appropriate thing. It's like um, this old church building, um, they're just busting it up with gospel proclamation. And, and so I was really blessed by that. But churches have different um, um, feels and textures, and all, but all one mission. I, at the end of the service, I knew what would happen. We would get back in the car and my family would turn to me and they would say, okay, dad, what'd you think? As if somehow I was there to critique what was going on. 
And I said, it doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what Jesus thinks. And I think Jesus was pretty pleased. It's not my church. So it doesn't matter what I think. Do you know the same thing is true this morning? This is not my church. And it really doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what Jesus thinks. And I think Jesus is very pleased with Gospel City Church. Gospel City Church is not a perfect church. If you think it is, you will be sadly disappointed at some point when I offend you and somebody ignores you and we, we sin against you in some way. Gospel City Church is not a perfect church, but it is a good church. And the doors are open for you to become a part of the family. And part of this series is kind of defining, are we family or are we just friends? And I mean, you can be a friend of the family and still come here. That's great. You're welcome to come. But we really want the friends to become a part of the family. And so what we're doing is we've kind of corned a phrase up here. We'll call it remembering the church. And that's necessary, right? Because of what we've all gone through in the last 18 months. People that used to go to church, people that used to go to this church, people that used to be completely immersed in this church have not yet come back to church. We've gotten out of the habit of church and we're trying to pull people back to remember church. That doesn't mean don't forget church. That means those of us that have embraced the privilege and responsibility of membership need to re-up. We need to renew our vows to one another. Let's say there's a couple in this church. They've been married for 50 years. And the wife says to the husband, you know, honey, I love you so much. I'm so committed to you for the next 50 years that I just think it would be appropriate on our 50th wedding anniversary, that we had a covenant renewal ceremony. Let's invite our family, let's, let's invite our friends, and let's renew our wedding vows. Now, if you're a husband and your wife ever proposes that to you, if you look at her and say, I think the first time was enough, that would indicate there's some trouble in the relationship, okay? And so next week, when we gather at church, we are going to have a covenant renewal moment in the service. I'm going to tell you more about that later. I want you to get your eyes on a copy of God's Word. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. Now, I got to warn you here, I have been saving this verse for 18 months. I have had it in the arsenal. I have been waiting to load and fire. And today is the day. It's probably the most quoted verse in church by pastors in the last 18 months. Are you ready for it? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not even ready for this. I, just, I don't even think you're ready. All right, here it is. Hebrews chapter 10. It's, very, very, it's a very familiar verse. Hebrews 10, look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. See, missing a church is bad habit. Got to kick the habit. But on the other hand, encouraging one another and all the more, all the more meeting together as you see the day approaching. Do you remember the old King James language? Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. That's that verse. This is the one the pastor preaches right before high attendance Sunday at church, right? Calling the church. You got to get to church. Got to come back to church. Got to be in church. Now, let me just say up front, coming to church does not make you a Christian. Does everybody understand that? Coming to church, I've said this to you before. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, okay? Physically placing yourself in a building that has a church sign out in front of it does not make you a Christian. However, a Christian who is in the habit of neglecting coming to church should examine whether or not there is any credible evidence that you actually are a Christian, not neglecting the 
meeting together of the saints. That's what we're going after here this morning. We're going to talk about how important. Now, let me just say up front, listen, COVID and the Delta variant is a real thing. And we should take responsibility for our physical health. There was a season, there were 15 weeks from March to July in 2020 when it was not responsible for us to meet together. And then I'm so glad that on July the 5th, we opened the doors of the church and we even opened this brand new gathering place. And we've been meeting ever since. But listen, there's a place to protect our physical health. If you are sick, you should not come to church. But just as important as your physical health is your spiritual health. And your spiritual health is even a higher priority than your physical health. If you don't come to church, basically what you're announcing is, I am physically sick or I am spiritually sick. And it's spiritually unhealthy for you to forsake the assembling of yourself with the family as uh, the body, as the church. Some people say, well, what about virtual church? What about online church? Listen, we, we have invested a lot in reaching you. Some of you are tuning in today. What you're doing today is you are watching other people do church in two dimensions. That is not church. And we want to welcome you and disciple you off your couch, out of your pajamas, into some church appropriate clothes to come to church next week. We'll see you next week. We love you. We want to welcome you. Listen, online church is like an on-ramp into the highway of church. Have you ever gotten stuck on an on-ramp beside someone who was afraid to press the accelerator and get on the highway? Do you understand that if you stop on the on-ramp, you are a danger to yourself and to others? Online church is the on-ramp. Keep moving. We would love to welcome you in. Some of you, I, I'm sure that every person here probably before you ever physically stepped foot in this building, you probably went to mygospelcity.org. You probably clicked on a sermon to see if whether you could tolerate it or not. And hopefully uh, that worked out. Maybe some of you don't think you can tolerate the in-person version of me. That's okay. Come and try it out. But it's so important for our physical health that we embrace what Jesus gave his life to not neglecting the meeting together. How many of you are football fans, football fans in the room right now? How many of you are excited about football kicking off in a couple? That's like, uh, other than church, other than Jesus, other than my, my marriage, I live for football. Okay, I just make that declaration, right? And so um, I've noticed a transition over the last decade. Have you noticed in college, the teams have forsaken the assembling of themselves together in the huddle. Teams no longer huddle before they run the play. They call this a no huddle offense. Have you, have you seen this? They don't huddle anymore. They're, they're in too much hurt. They're college kids. We ain't got time for a huddle. Let's go run the play, right? Now in the, in the NFL, they still huddle before that because they got, they got plans. And, and listen, there is no such thing as a no huddle Christianity. What we do on Sunday is we gather in the huddle. We huddle up because we need to get the play downloaded from the Lord. And we need to read the playbook. And everybody knows their assignment. It's about fulfilling the Great Commission. It's about loving God and loving others and being on mission. That's what we do in the huddle. But listen, there's never been a touchdown scored while the team was in the huddle. You have to break the huddle. The huddle is not the purpose of the gathering. The the huddle, the gathering, is to go execute the play. We have to break the huddle. We have to go run the play. That's what we do in church. We huddle on Sunday, and we scatter to run the play through the week. And then we huddle up again to get the play so that we can execute the play. Nobody wins while you're in the huddle. And so missing church is a bad habit. And a Christian who misses too ch church too often is a Christian who is in trouble. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about remembering. Now, next week, let me tell you what's going to happen. I want to give you a forewarning. On Friday, if you got the email from the church, the Gazette told you that we next week are going to be 
making nine resolutions. I'm going to ask you as an individual, as a family, to make these nine resolutions to remember this church. So this is what's going to happen. We're going to sing, we're going to preach, we're going to pray. At the end of the service, there's going to be a card on every seat or maybe in the back pocket there. The card will list those nine resolutions. At the end of the sermon today, I'm going to show you those nine resolutions again. So just hold on. I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider signing your name to those resolutions saying, this is what I'm all about. I want to be a church like this. This is why I love this church is because this is the thing that we're committed to. I'm going to ask you to sign the card. We're all going to stand. And for those of you that signed the card, I'm going to ask you to bring the card. You're going to leave your seat. You're going to come down here as an, as an act of worship to say, I am remembering at Gospel City Church. And you say, well, what, what if I'm not ready to do that? And it's like, it's okay. It's like, relax, relax. You're still welcome to come here. Those that signed the card, it's like saying, we're family. I'm family. I'm part of this family, okay? Now, listen, if you're not yet a member of the church, signing the card doesn't make you a member of the church. But you can still sign the card. You can still say, I'm about these resolutions. You're not remembering. What you're saying is, it's kind of like a pre-membering. It's like, I'm going to sign the card, then I'm going to go to the membership class. I'm going to go through the process to become a member of the church. Others of you would say, man, I just showed up for the first time. I'm not ready to like, sign anything. That's fine. That's fine. We'll consider you friends of the family. But, well, I have friends over at our house all the time. Um, there's friends that my kids bring in. They sleep there. They eat our food. They make a mess. We clean up after them. We'll treat you like that. Okay? We'll feed you. We'll care for you as best we can. We'll clean up after you. Basically, there's just no expectation that you're going to contribute anything because you're friends of the family. We'll be friendly to you. You'll be friendly to us. But for those of us that are family, what we're saying is I'm throwing my life into this body which represents Jesus on earth. Listen, in an age of church shopping and live streaming and sporadic attendance and consumer oriented church going. What we're saying is we believe that the future of the local church is dependent upon members who are committed as family. That's what we're doing next week. So everybody just relax. Nobody's going to like treat you differently if you don't sign the card. It's not like who's in, who's out. There is some declaration, but it's saying, I, I want to be a part of what God's doing here. So I know you're asking the question like, man, why, why go to all the trouble? Why bother with all this? What's the compelling reason that I would even want to come to church? As a pastor, I could probably list about 1,000 reasons why you need to come to church. I will resist going through the list, but I want to give you the single most compelling reason never, ever to miss a single gathering at church. I'm going to give it to you up front. Here it is. The most compelling reason to come to church is you can. Do you know there's Christians right now in Haiti, Afghanistan, that do not have the capacity or the access to meet together for the purpose of worshiping Jesus Christ? There's a physical limitation. There's a political limitation. There's a military. There's a spiritual limitation and blockade. I want to show you from Scripture the access that you have and the compelling reason that you have for wanting to come and obey verse 25. It's in the context all the way back up in verse 19. Once you get your eyes on the Bible this morning, look at verse 19. He says, therefore, stop right there. Now, if you have been reading through the New Testament in 100 days, this week you read the entire book of Hebrews. Now, the, the book of Hebrews is kind of a complicated ver a, a book, but it's essentially a summary of the entire Old Testament. 
It's filled with Old Testament imagery. It's filled with language surrounding temple worship. It mentions priesthood. It mentions animal sacrifice. There's a lot of talk about blood. There's a lot of talk about Old Testament, you know, uh, images of creation and angels. There's even this weird reference to this guy we don't even understand who he is in the Old Testament called Melchizedek. That's all in the New Testament in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. When you get to verse 19 of chapter 10, the word therefore is like a hinge in the door. It swings and it's basically saying based on everything that was written in the Old Testament, based on everything in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, since that then this. Notice verse 19. Therefore, brothers, do you see the family language? Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that's referring to the curtain that was in the temple that was a blockade, it was a barrier between the people and the holy presence of God. That curtain was there as a, a way to keep you out. But since that has been opened through the curtain, through his flesh, so he makes the parallel statement, that curtain that was torn was actually like the flesh of Jesus that was torn on the cross that brought you access into the presence of God, look at verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us. Everything in the Old Testament was the old dead way that kept you out. The day that Jesus died introduced a new and living way that welcomes you in. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's stop right there. In verse 21, when he mentions the great high priest, he's speaking of the priestly role of Jesus. We don't have priests in the church anymore because Jesus was the true and the better and the final high priest. We're all now part of the priesthood of the believers. What made a person a priest? He was the only one who could go before the presence of God and represent sinful man, and he was the only one that could go before sinful man and represent the presence of God. He was the mediator between holiness and sinfulness. Jesus did that on the day that he died when his flesh was torn as the great high priest. He ripped the curtain. He removed the barrier. He welcomes you. You can now have access to the holy places. Do you see that word holy places in verse 19? The question is, what's he talking about? There are holy places. Let me ask you this question. At 3 o'clock a.m., this morning, Sunday morning, this place was empty. At least it better have been empty, right? Question, was God here? It's not a trick question, was God here? Yeah, is God everywhere present at the same time? Sure he is. But was this a holy place at three o'clock a.m. on Sunday morning? Everywhere God is is a holy place. I get it. But let me ask you this. In comparison to 3 a.m. Sunday morning to 11 a.m. Sunday morning, is this a holy place? Yes, it is. God is here, but when God's people are here to draw near to the God who is here, this becomes one of the holy places on earth that represents the holy place that is in heaven. You think about holy places, well, of course, it's talking about the throne room of God in heaven. Yeah, but Jesus came to bring heaven to earth. And when Jesus brought heaven to earth and ripped open the veil, what's happening up there is now reflected by what's happening down here. 
the assembled church is the most visible reflection of what is happening in heaven. This is heaven on earth. That's why church is essential, and that's why you should never miss it. What we're doing right now, lifting our praises to God, opening our hearts and our ears to God's word, God's revealing Jesus through the preached word, and now we're responding in repentance and faith. That is a holy place that we have access to through the blood of Jesus. Consider the the links that the Old Testament people living in Israel would go to to get to the gathered place of worship. Uh, I've been to Israel a couple of times. You should go. We should all go. Let's just go next week. Let's just go. Anybody in favor? It's like, I hear it's a little dangerous over there right now. Yeah, let's just go. It's just dangerous. Someday, let's go. Here's the thing. Israel, the, the actual land there, it's, I don't know, it's comparable to the state of Indiana in size. Think about Old Testament Israel that three times a year were required to physically go to the holy place, the temple. They could only gather in the outer courts and some in the inner courts. The high priest could go into the Holy of Holies one time a year on the Day of Atonement at the risk of his life, but you had to physically go to a location, and yet they went. They they packed their provisions. They walked through desert. They dragged their children, and they went singing all the way as they went to the gathering place. There was such an attraction to get to the presence of God. Drawing near to the presence of God was their holy ambition. Now, for those of you that complained about getting up and getting your kids in the minivan, the air-conditioned minivan, while you're shoving like fruit snacks at them and you're eating on your way with your Starbucks coffee and, and you got here and you were still 10 minutes late, What's the problem, okay? God's people find a way to gather no matter what it costs. Obviously, uh, there's risk. Obviously, there's cost. Obviously, there's effort involved. As a matter of fact, at the end of this message, I'm gonna give you three ways to never, ever show up late for church on any Sunday for the rest of your life. Just give you those three keys. And just like, I need some of those. I'm going to give you those in just a minute. Before we do that, here's a good question. We talk about church. What are we talking about? What is a church? Is a church three ladies meeting for coffee on Thursday afternoons and sharing prayer requests and praying for one another? Is that a church? Um, Because didn't Jesus say, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. And so a lot of people have used that to justify like any gathering of Christians uh, is a church. Really? Did Jesus say, I am there, or did he say a church is there? Is there more involved in that? What is a church? Is a church a men's Bible study? Is a church a campus ministry? What, what really, is, is a church a, a missions organization? What is a church? Let's answer that question. Last, uh, last week, I was so encouraged. Um, there was a book that came out like on Monday. And I downloaded it, I read the parts of it. It's like these guys had been reading my notes and they wrote the book that I should have wrote. It was called Rediscovering Church. They, they weren't listening, it should have been called Remembering Church, but I should have wrote that book. Um, so Jonathan Lehman and Colin Hansen wrote this book. And I'm like, oh, this is the, like all the pastors and, and leaders are like coming out with the books, like trying to get their people back to church apparently. So that's what this series is all about. So I read through this and I was so encouraged. I was going to put this in the message anyway, but they, they did it better than I did. So they defined what a church is. The, the idea is what's the irreducible minimum requirement to actually call yourself a church? They started out with this. They said, well, a church is a group of Christians. All right. So is it, like three Christians meet on aisle 13 at Walmart, just they run into each other. Does that form a church? Probably a little more involved in that. It goes on. A group of Christians who assemble as an earthly assembly, uh, embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom. I love the metaphor of an embassy. When I was in Liberia, I visited the American embassy. And the great thing about an embassy, an embassy is an authorized outpost of another country that is actually physically located within the boundaries 
of another country. This embassy represents what's going on in another country. That's what our church is. Our church has different laws, principles, requirements for citizenship, different values. We have different music. We have different language. We have different culture. And yet God establishes an embassy of his kingdom at different geopolitical points all over the planet today. We're here not to represent the United States of America. We're here to represent the kingdom of Christ within the boundaries of the United States of America, within the boundaries of the state of Indiana, within the boundaries of St. Joseph County, and on and on down to your neighborhood, your home, our church within this geographical territory is to represent our citizenship in another country, namely heaven. He goes on and says this, to do some stuff, to proclaim good news and the commands of Christ, the King. If we're not preaching the gospel, if we're not accurately reflecting what Christ has said in his word, we're not a church. Take the sign off the building if you stop preaching the good news. You're not a church. He goes on, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances. Ordinances, fancy word for baptism and communion. So if you know us, we're kind of casual around here. We don't do a lot of ceremony. We don't have a lot of liturgy and things like that. But there's two things that are very highly symbolic. And people have a tendency to make icons and idols out of the symbols. And so Jesus only gave us two symbols. One was baptism and one was communion. When we take the bread, which represents his body that was broken for us, and we take the wine, the juice that represents the blood that was shared, shed for us, those symbols remind us of things that have high spiritual significance that are rooted in doctrinal cosmic realities. Baptism. Let me just say a word about baptism here. There's having a reference to it. Why don't you look down here at uh, verse 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now it's a reference to baptism there, but listen, don't make too much of baptism and don't make too little of baptism. Churches have all kinds of crazy ideas about what baptism is. Can I just simply explain it to you real quick? Baptism, the word baptize actually means immerse. And so it's a symbol, it's a picture that represents something that is a spiritual reality. Now, I like to say that baptism is like a double drama. If you go to a movie, you go to a play, you see a drama acted out there, it's telling a story. Baptism tells a story. And there's like, you're, the, you're playing the role here. You step into the waters of baptism. You're alive, but then we bury you because you died. You died to your old way of life. You died to your old man. What do you do with an old man? You bury an old man, but you have resurrection life in Christ. So we don't leave you down there long. We don't want you to be a really dead Man, we just want to baptize you there. So we, we go all the way under, we come, you come back up, and you're playing a role here. You're saying, here's what's happened to me. I have died to my old self. Let's bury him, but I got a new life in Christ, and I'm going to live forever. The second part of the drama is this. You're actually reflecting the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You're saying, I'm with that guy. And it was his life, death, burial, and resurrection that has purchased my salvation, pardoned my sin, and this is my public profession of faith. This is the way you go public with your faith. Many of you have probably been in services where a preacher at the end of the service said, bow your heads, close your eyes. I think I say that every week. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I might even lead you through a prayer. Sometimes people will say, if you prayed the prayer to receive Jesus, do what? Just raise your hand. Others people say, I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to come to the aisle. I want you to sign a card. All of those actions, those are not the biblical profession of faith. The Bible's way of confessing your faith in Jesus Christ is by baptism. You're like, that's kind of involved. 
Yeah, it is. It's really humbling. You look really good before and you look like a drowned rat afterwards. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's all the way in. And it's like, it's, I'm, I'm going all in on Jesus. That's what you're saying. And some of you have never been baptized on the right side of your salvation. Now, some of you, your parents loved you very much. They wanted to introduce you to Jesus. So when you're eight days old, they took you down to the church and they had some priest pour some water on you. And you don't remember that. And you really didn't choose to do that. You just, just like somebody told you, you were baptized. The Bible's description of baptism is always following a person's faith and repentance, placing faith in Jesus. So we like to say around here, if you haven't been baptized on the right side of your salvation, you haven't been biblically baptized. And you need to be baptized. It's a requirement for church membership. We are the baptized body of believers. And it's the way that we say, I'm all in. And some of you have been putting it off for years. Got good news for you. Next Sunday, we're going to have the tanks ready to go. And if you would come to one of our pastors today at the end of the service or email us through the week or go to the cross back in the foyer and say, I need to be baptized. That'll start a conversation. We'd love to hear your story. We'd love to help you shape your story. We'd love to baptize you even next week. But you got to take the initiative. That's what a church is. So, so the, the three ladies meeting at Starbucks, are they taking communion? Are they baptizing anybody? If not, it's not a church. He goes on and says, we need to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world. So this is not an American thing. This is not a Midwest thing. This is global thing. It's actually cosmic thing for all people, for all times and all seasons. Unified, not around a political ideology, not around a, an allegiance to a football team, but around who Jesus is as Lord of our lives, surrendering to him. And then the last thing is following the teaching and the example of elders. The New Testament pattern for church governance is that there's a plurality of qualified men who give direction and protection to the church. All of these components need to be part of a group that biblically has the right to say, we are a local church. Now, sometimes people ask the question, what about the difference between the local church and the universal church. Have you ever thought about that? Like, if you're a Christian, then you're immediately part of the universal church. True. You're part of all the believers from all time, all times past, all times future, globally throughout the world. But God gathers us together in local expressions of that. And Gospel City Church is not the only New Testament gospel preaching church in our community. And if it doesn't work for you here, there's other churches that faithfully represent the local church here. But it's your participation in the local church that actually gives evidence that you are a participant in the universal church. Now, having said all of that, let's talk about why we gather. Gathering allows us to do three things that we cannot do alone. And they're all listed for us right here in the scripture. I want you to see them. The first is this, gathering the church lets us draw near with assurance. Look at verse 22. And let us, I want you to notice the plurality of that pronoun. He doesn't say you should individually in your quiet time. This is a worship leader who is calling out to multitudes of people, let us gather together to do some stuff. Number one, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Mark it down. If you get out of the habit of gathering as the church, the confession of your faith, your assurance will waver. He doesn't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen for you. So gathering as the church is our way of saying, you know what? We are going to, we are going to gather together. We are going to assure one another. We're going to draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean, assured of the faith 
that has saved us. Here's the second thing. It's in verse um, 23. Gathering the church lets us hold fast without wavering. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. I read that before, didn't I? I didn't read verse 22. You need to read verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The word confession there is so important. A church is a confessional community. It's not your performance that makes you a member of the church. It's what you confess. The word confess means to speak the same or to agree with. Here's what we're saying as a church. We believe some stuff. Do you believe it? If you say, I believe it, I confess it, I agree, I speak the same thing as you're speaking, I, I confess. What you're saying is, not necessarily confessing sin, that's another matter, but yes, that's part of it. But you're confessing truths that we hold fast to. Things like the deity of Christ, about the triune nature of God, about the atoning nature of of Christ's death on the cross, about what we believe about Jesus coming again to rescue us. All of those things are confessional things. Some of you don't know what you believe. Some of you don't know what our church believes. So guess what we've done? We've created an 11-week series of classes called Core Classes so we can confess what we believe and you can say, that's what I believe too. I'm in the family. That's what we believe. So that's what gathering as a church allows us to do. And then one final thing here, gathering the church lets us stir up one another. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Please understand, gathering is not the end game. Coming to a place is not the end game. It's the gathering that creates the context for stirring one another up to love and good works. Love what? Love God and love people. That's what it's all about. Every time you come to church, it's an opportunity for you to get stirred up. Now, my wife, Andrea, she loves me very much and she wants me to live a long time, at least longer than her. So, she knows the only way that she can get spinach into me is to actually mix it with stuff that tastes good. And so every few days, she will get the blender out and she'll cram a bunch of spinach in there. And then she puts some yogurt in there and some blueberries and banana and some protein powder in there. And she blends it up. She makes these smoothies and she usually gets like three cups and she puts them in the refrigerator for me so that when I get up in the morning, I can just go to the refrigerator and I can pull out one of these smoothies. But I've noticed something about these smoothies in the cup. If you let them sit there for a couple of days, the stuff separates. The stuff that tastes good actually separates from the, the, the stuff that is good for you. And I have found that I can drink what's available in there without ever getting to the spinach. <laughs> Unless I do what? I gotta stir it up. The same is true for you. You need to be stirred up. And if you're sitting at home on your couch, just kind of downloading the service, watching everybody else get stirred up, I guarantee you there's some good stuff that's not getting in you because you're not giving us the opportunity to stir you up. And as, as you, some, some of you watching from home right now, like, no, you're stirring me up. I'm, I'm, I'm really good. Here's the deal. You're not contributing anything right now to me. You're not stirring me up. You're not stirring any of these people up. We need you to come and stir up some love and good works in us and in our children and in our teenagers and in this community. The whole purpose of gathering is to stir one another up. 
to love and good works. That's what it's all about. What do you miss when you miss church? If you're viewing the live stream, you don't miss the teaching. As a matter of fact, you can find better teaching than this. It's all available to you. You can get that. What you miss is the opportunity to get your eyes off yourself and to realize church is not about you. It's about loving others and it's about loving God. You miss the corporate worship with the voices of other people in your ears. You say, I don't like the way that other people sing. We're not real fond of yours either. But when you, you throw 100 people together, throw 1,000 people together, it's amazing how good it sounds. It sounds a lot better than you in your pajamas on your couch. You miss the personal touch of somebody looking you in the eye and saying, how are you doing? You don't look so good. I prayed for you this week. How can I pray for you the next week? You miss the human touch. We're to draw near. And notice it says that we're to do this more. We're to gather more often as we see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? There's going to be a day when we don't have to go to church anymore. On the day that Jesus died, he opened the door to the church. On the day that Jesus returns, he's going to close the door of the church. There's not going to be a need for church anymore. We're just going to be in heaven. It's going to be in his presence. The veil will be lifted forever, eternally, unhindered to worship him. But between the day that he opened the door and the day that he closes the door, don't neglect meeting together. And do it, as, do it even more often as you see the day approaching. There's such a need. Now, real quick, let me, let me, how, how do you get to church on time every day for the rest of your life? Three things. You got to do these. You got to prioritize. You got to prepare. You got to participate. Prioritize. It just simply comes down to this. What is of most value to you? Is it sleep? Is it rest? Is it boating? Is it golfing? What, what's most important? Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Some of you can't even get out of bed. What's, what is of utmost priority to you? Jesus, the church, has set aside the first day of the week as the Lord's day. And what happens on the first day of the week many times is determined by what you did on the last day of the week. Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. And by the way, let me just talk to the men. If you are the father, the husband, the leader in your home, if your family has to come and ask you on Saturday, are we going to church? You've already failed. You are the one that needs to say, here's the family priority. We are going to church. I heard of a young mother who had our kids in church this morning, and she said, yeah, I really resonated with that. I mean, we were watching church online a lot, and the kids, you know, when we said we're going to church, they went over and turned the TV on. Who's going to teach your children the priority of gathering for church? It's that important. Secondly, prepare. I've told you this many times, but when our kids were young— we couldn't get to church unless we began to prepare to get to church at 5 o'clock p.m. on Thursday, okay? I mean, that's how hard it is to get to church. And if you have little kids, you know this. But listen, we, how, is it a priority? Are we going to do that? Where's the Bibles? We've got to get food in their face, and we've got you know, we to get, get them down for a nap on, on Saturday, whatever you've got to do. And then finally, participate. The emphasis in verse 25 is not what you get out of church. It's what you bring to church. You give God your worship. You give God your attention. You give God your allegiance. So participate in the outer gathering. Listen, real practical. Tires of your car ought to be hitting the church parking lot 15 minutes before the church starts at minimum. Especially if you have kids, you got to get them checked in. And then, hey, wouldn't it be great to actually make eye contact and have a conversation and have prayer with somebody even before you stepped into the building? And then you find your seat, you're seeing other people, and now you're praying for him and you're praying for Pastor Trent because he didn't know what he was going to say. And God, we need to meet with you right now. And then from the first note of the first song, you're standing, you're participating in the singing, you're participating in the praying. You understand that the praying and the singing is not what happens up here, it's what happens in the collective gathering. You participate in the reading and the revealing of 
God's word. You bring your Bible, you open your Bible, you obey your Bible, you participate in repenting and believing again the gospel every time it's preached. You participate in the serving, you participate in the after party afterwards. You don't have to rush out of here. Find two other people, let's go to lunch. Let's go get a waffle. Let's love each other. Let's stir each other up. Let's talk about what we did not even understand what Trent was trying to say. What was he trying to say? I don't even understand. Was it? That's what we do when we gather for church. Everybody stand up. Next week when you come to church, because I know y'all going to come to church next week. <laughs> next week when you come to church, at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to commit to nine resolutions. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Because we are family, I'm going to ask you to say this. I will submit to the teaching and the authority of Scripture. Now listen, if you can't say that, don't pretend, but let's just be friends. This is family. Secondly, I will pursue the Lord Jesus through consistent participation in the spiritual disciplines. What are the spiritual disciplines? Come to church, read my Bible, I pray, I give, I share the gospel faithfully. I, I serve, I, I participate. Next, I will consistently participate where, whenever the body gathers for worship and fellowship. By the way, that's not just once a week. There's an expectation you would be here on Sunday. There's an expectation you would gather in a small group. There's an expectation you would gather when we have a prayer meeting, which by the way, we do once a month and very few people seem to know that that is an expectation of the members, we're family. If we don't pray, nothing else we do is gonna have any power. Also, I'll participate in the ordinances of believer's baptism and the Lord's Supper. I will steward the resources God has given me, such as time, talent, spiritual gifts, and finances. I will welcome and submit to the loving leadership and care of the elders and other appointed leaders of the church. I will I will live according to the standards set forth in Scripture. And I will love, serve, minister to, and be personally invested in the holiness and spiritual health of fellow covenant members. Because church is not about me. It's about stirring up love and good works in others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for gathering your sons and daughters in this place to worship your only begotten Son, Jesus, and through His Spirit, we have access to you this morning. I'm so grateful for the, the health and the vitality, the love and the good works that are demonstrated at Gospel City Church. God, would you protect it? Would you stir within others things that I can't stir in them? And Lord, draw us into your presence as a gathered body. It's all for your glory that we meet we pray in Jesus' name, amen.